Hey everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 71. Today I'm speaking with Margie Agin, founder and chief strategist at Centerboard Marketing. She helps companies develop and measure content, perform market research, and get the most from inbound and influencer marketing campaigns. We discuss what you need to know before diving into content marketing, how to find relevant content topics, and how to measure whether your content is working. Enjoy. I'm here with Margie Agin, the uh, founder of a company called Centerboard Marketing. And Margie helps uh, businesses basically create really great content marketing materials, digital experiences, helps them measure the impact that those things have on their revenue. And she really uh, focuses also on, and I'm sure she'll talk more about this, um, strategic market research and inbound marketing campaigns, all things you need to be able to do in order to drive sales for your product or your service. So it's super important stuff because content marketing these days is is just, is gone bananas. Like everyone's doing it, but not everyone's doing it well. And I'm sure Margie will talk about that. So I'm really excited to have you on, Margie. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for this episode. Content marketing, just content in general is obviously a huge interest of mine. Um, but I want to start just talking about you a little bit and kind of get, give the audience a feel for who you are and what you do on a kind of day-to-day basis. What is, you know, what are you working on? Sure. So Centerboard Marketing focuses mainly on B2B technology companies. So, you know, companies of all types have kind of quote unquote discovered or embraced content marketing, um, you know, for the for the technology company where the product is more complex and a little bit more difficult to explain, uh, content marketing means uh, blogs, it means websites, it also means sales enablement tools um, and implementation content. So it, it's, um, it kind of runs the gamut of different types of content assets that uh, we develop um, starting from every step to the plan to the actual content development. And then, as you mentioned, measuring whether it's working. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was working on my other uh, startup, Kaya, which was an analytics company um, geared towards digital publishers to help them understand how their audience was engaging with their content, what was working best for them. Our whole thing was about, about essentially making it so you could spend less time staring at numbers and more time actually creating that content that your audience uh, is interested in. But um, what I was getting at was essentially we did a lot of content marketing uh, on our end to help, you know, drive awareness and, and, and sales for our product at Kaya. And what, and we did a couple things. One, we, d- we focused on blog posts, which was uh, big, but essentially our focus uh, for the blog posts, and we'll, I'm sure you, you'll, we'll talk about this was, thinking about what are our customers kind of, what are their needs? What do they need to know? And that's how we kind of decided what content to create. And then on top of that, we also launched a podcast and this was in 2015. Um, and so it was, it was before podcasts started really blowing up again. It was like on the cusp of it. And essentially what we did was the re- we did this for two reasons. One, we thought the podcast would be an excellent kind of way to, uh, and educate and inform people about the industry and the space, right? And by by doing that, we spoke with, you know, different executives at, at these media companies and things like that, and we had them on, and it was very, very interesting. So that was one. 
uh, to kind of bring awareness to our brand, but also what we're working on and the space. But also, it was a great way for us to get our foot in the door at places we wanted to sell to. <laughs> and I think that's often overlooked um, as, you know, uh, you know, a reason for behind doing content marketing. You can really leverage it in many different ways aside from just the, you know, the actual content that people are consuming themselves. But yeah, so, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, you mentioned like at least three or four different reasons why you might want to create content, mm -hmm. um, building awareness, building your brand awareness. Uh, the point about answering customer questions is really key. Uh, customers are, you know, empowered in so many ways to self-service their questions, answer their questions before they ever talk to a salesperson. Right. Um, I mean, I've heard different numbers, but it's something like six, seven, or even eight pieces of content that consumers and even B2B buyers read before they ever talk to a salesperson, mm -hmm. right? So they, they're doing all their research ahead of time. The more you're educating them before they talk to a salesperson, you're doing a lot of things. You're weeding out people that, you know, maybe aren't a good fit or that you would have spent a lot of time trying to qualify or explain things to. Um, now they're kind of weeding themselves out. Right. And mm -hmm. so by the time they get to a salesperson, they're much more educated. They're further along in their readiness to buy. Uh, and you can kind of get into the details, you know, more quickly because they've already answered a lot of the upfront questions that they need to answer um, and done a little bit of research on you. So those are kind of what you could call sort of top of funnel kind of reasons to do content. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, you know, ongoing relationships with customers, right? Once even someone is a customer, they need to get engaged with your product and make the most out of your product, you know, become a fan and refer your product to other people. Right. Um, so there, there's a lot of reasons for content, even beyond sort of that very top of funnel kind of brand awareness or even SEO focus, which is you know mainly blog type content or ungated kinds of content for new prospects. You could think of content really every point down the sales funnel. And that's part of the upfront planning is really understanding which of those goals is going to be most important to you. And thinking about your content as sort of this whole set of experiences so that what I see is most companies, 90% of their con it's funny, most companies, 90% of their content is either top of funnel stuff and it's all awareness right. or it's all technical product documentation, right? right? And no awareness. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're trying to sort of get something at least in every stage of that buying cycle to sort of even out the experience. Right. Absolutely. So let's, let's, let's dive into this a little bit more. So, uh, you know, as for an early, let's say it's a mid stage company, who's, who's looking to get started in, 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 in content marketing. What are, what are some things they really should know? I mean, obviously we just discussed a few, but what are they, what, what should they really be thinking about before kind of diving in and getting started with all this? What, what should they know? Yeah. So, I mean, one is sort of that plan. Think about what your real goals are, where are the bottlenecks, maybe that you're having now in your sales cycle. For example, you might be great at getting people to come to your website, but then they're not sticking around or they're not converting, mm -hmm. right? So, or you may have just launched and nobody even knows about you. So your goal might be awareness, right? So just getting really clear on your goals. Um, and then thinking about a realistic sort of cadence or how often you, you would be able to publish content, right? And one of the mistakes I often see companies making is thinking, okay, we're going to try to do, you know, 
two blogs a week, right? And an ebook and a podcast. And we're going to promote this as an ongoing series. But then they don't have the resources the bandwidth, to essentially yeah. publish. Or the resources. It takes publishing, it, thinking of the ideas and also the approvers and the reviewers and all the mechanics behind the actual content creation. It's a lot so, of work. I mean, people, it's funny because, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure you get this all the time. People, you know, that we want to do, like you just said, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to create this content, that kind of, it's like, well, you know, that act, that that actual work has to be done to actually create these pieces yeah. of content. It's not like yeah. it doesn't and, just and snap all the steps, at, you know. Not just the writing, right, <laughs> but the, the approving right. is, is sometimes a bottleneck too. Um, and so I think it's better to start small and focus rather than, set an expectation that you're going to have like a, you know, a newsletter every week or something, get people to sign up for it. And then you end up with sort of, I mean, the web is littered with like ghost towns right. <laughs> where yeah. blogs started published four or five times and then you never hear from them again. Right. Yep. So it would be better to say, we're going to start with one a month. Right. And spread it out, get used to the process and then, um, and you know, and then build up from there. Yeah. So cadence um, and then messaging. There are there's so much content out there. Um, I mean, content marketing is not a new concept, but over the last several years, everybody and their brother has basically has realized and kind of become aware of the fact that they need more content on their website, on their blog and social media and so forth. So there's, a, you know, a glut more content than you could ever imagine. And I think 60% of that content is never even accessed or used. And even on, say, a single company's website, it might be just 5% of the content that you have that actually gets 95% of the action. Right. So, you know, companies are creating and creating and creating sort of on this hamster wheel of, of production. But... It, that's if they're able to produce, right? Then they're just sort of like producing, producing, producing and churning it out. But in fact, a lot of it is never used or a lot of it's redundant or it's just you know, poorly written and poorly executed or it sounds the same as what everybody else is saying, right? So right. you're just kind of contributing to, to the, the echo noise. chamber, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so one thing that's very important to think about up front is you know, what can you contribute as an organization or as a thought leader or whether it's an, as an individual or a company that has some kind of a unique perspective, right? Something that people haven't already heard a million times. Um, you know, it could even be controversial, something that kind of wakes people up because obviously your company exists for a reason. You developed your company for a reason. You know, you saw something in the industry that needed to be done, a different perspective that wasn't being wasn't being done before so this is sort of your platform to offer something unique instead of regurgitating what everybody else has already said right i remember when i was running kaya and we were i was doing a, a bunch of guest posting on various uh, marketing blogs and things like that like performance in and business to community and stuff like, and all sites like that um one of the things i one of the one of the pieces i i published was about how the why the page view is dead and like, you know, that's the con I think that's kind of what you were getting at. Like, it can be controversial in the sense that like, it's not maybe what everyone kind of, you know, the line everyone toes or thinks. Um, but, but at the, you know, but it doesn't have to be like far out there. It can just be, you know, it can just be it with industry specific. 
um, controversial. Right. right. Some topic maybe that, that people are debating in your industry mm -hmm. and you have a, a unique take on or something that people are struggling with in, in your industry. Right. right. And that's, that's sort of the balance between, we use a lot of social listening tools, for example, or even SEO research to sort of get a sense of what are people talking about? What are some trending topics, right? What are it, common issues that people are dealing with? You could do this through customer research as well as some of these you know, online listening tools. Mm -hmm. So you've got sort of a broad category of some trending topic, but then you your role as a, as a content marketer or a company that's producing content is not just to sort of report on that, right? We're not a newspaper. We're not doing right. sort of like latest and greatest breaking news about what's happening in an industry. We're offering a perspective or we're offering value or some kind of educational content to get people to think. And ultimately, and this is where content marketing drives the revenue, you know, for them to sort of recognize that, what they're doing or maybe how they've thought of it before uh, leaves a gap. Uh, you know, there's something that is missing and your product or service has the ability to solve that problem that, that you've just, um, that you've just raised right, within right. the content that you, that you've written. So connecting the dots between, you know, the issue that someone's having Without being super salesy or pushing your product, but right. just I was, I was actually going to ask you, like, and educating right the audience that oh, there's a different way to think about this. Definitely. What about one? Uh, uh, one of the things I also want to ask you about in terms of uh, getting started with content marketing. You know, you're. We talked about you're creating content, sometimes written, video, audio. You know, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, is your brand, your company needs some kind of voice, right? How, how, how should how should how should people think about creating a, a voice or a brand uh, these days? And 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 also, where should they be focusing most of their time? Is it is it uh, should they be focusing on their website or should they be focusing on places where their customer base or audiences or? Yeah, those are two big questions. Yeah. So I guess let's look at the first one first. Right? Okay. The, the tone or the voice. Um, so your voice involves what you say and how you say it. Right. So. What you say, what are what are you, you know, what are you talking about that maybe most people disagree with you about, or where can you provide value, right? So that's sort of the topics that you're going to that you're going to be known for that you want to own, and then there's how you say it. So tone tone of voice kind of involves your word choice, your vocabulary, um, you know, the structure. Are you do you speak in sort of very simple, easy to understand sentences, or are you more like sort of a poet <laughs> in the way that you, poet is the wrong word, but, you know, do you have a certain um, eloquence, rhythm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, rhythm to the way that you speak um, that, that is unique to kind of your, your personality. Mm -hmm. um, these are things that, that can really Oh, make your brand seem more like a person, mean more right. human, right? I think so, that's a key. I mean, a lot of brands these days are going with that human element uh, to it, which I which I love. I think, I mean, you go back to like you know, even back in you know the '80s and '90s, and it's like even the early 2000s. You know, before social media kind of blew up, brands were kind of like these dark figures over in the corner. Like you didn't like. Yeah. You didn't really, you know, they sold products, but you didn't really know much about them or how they 
how they sounded or like they, there was nothing there was like no identity to them it was just like this is the brand but now well, especially you, in a b2b right space, you know people really used to think like if, if there were a brand i personalities are really for consumer companies mm-hmm. but and b2b brands were much more like you know your brand is, this, is your sales manager <laughs> blue, <right>? yeah <laughs> kind of thing um and now those brands are also Definitely. becoming more distinct and using more human language and kind of calling on people's emotions uh, as much as they are on, on logic so you know some of that is because you've got tech companies that are sort of more scrappy upstarts and some of those are kind of trying to seem more like hip and cool and um and then, but no, you don't have to just be sort of like hip, cool, funny, scrappy startup, right? That's one type of brand personality. Um, but there are many types of brand personalities that reflect the humanity of your of your business and sort of the people who work there. If you have a if you have a CEO or a founder of the company who has a really distinctive personality, a lot of times that person's sort of personality kind of drives because, the yeah. roots of the company, at least in the early stages. But as the company grows and, and evolves and hires more people, and you still have a company culture, right? So if you ask people, you know, what is it about this company that's different from other places you've worked, right? Or what would make somebody successful at this company? Um, that's one way to sort of get to the sense of your, your company's culture. Um, so you can kind of try to reflect that in the way you communicate. I like that. Other, I was going to actually yeah, ask other, what questions, you know, you should ask yeah. yourself to do that. And that was, those are good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the other piece is no matter how much you look inside, it's really important to hear what other people are saying about your company or you when you're not in the room, right? Because like it or not, your brand is also defined by what your customers think about you and how they would, how they would, um, express what it's like to work with your company right Mm -hmm. so and in fact those are the words that they're saying those are the words that they're using when they're telling someone else yeah you should check these guys out because blah 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 this is what they're like to work with this is the experience i have working with that company so if you have opportunities to kind of tap into um, customer perceptions about your brand and even hear the words that they use to describe you that's it's a great way to sort of get out of your own you know box mm-hmm. um where you can become extremely tunnel vision only talking to the people that you know already know you and that you work with right. day in and day out everybody's you know speaking the same language get out of the box and, and start hearing what people are saying about you and it can be very eye-opening to, to sure. understand how your brand is actually perceived by others yeah super i mean it's 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 something that you know regardless of whether you have a brand voice or not yet it's something you should be doing uh you know communicating with your customer or your audience base and and finding out you know taking their feedback taking their thoughts taking you know what they're saying about you and your products um and kind of figuring out i know one thing for me was kind of figuring out all right well how does this apply to our roadmap uh, you know, should should it should it should should we prioritize differently based on what people are saying, what they you know what they're kind of talking about needing, or should we stay? And then those are you know those are decisions you have to make. Um, 
at the end of the day, they're t- sometimes they're tougher sure, than whether others. Whether you're a product manager, <laughs> you're thinking about product roadmap, right? right? Exactly. Or you're, you know, a marketing person, a content person, asking, all right, well, what are questions that you that you ask that um, come up during the sales cycle for yeah, you? Yeah, right? exactly. If you make a list of all the questions the customers ask, um, maybe you can. That's great. You can create ideas. content out of that. Germinating exactly. ideas for content, right? Exactly. And then the brand person wants to know, okay, you know, what's it like to work with us and interact with us? How would you describe us to somebody else? Um, tell us about when we've sort of gone the extra mile and what that was like. Uh, all those things really factor into truly understanding where your company fits in the market and the role that you play in your customer's world. Uh, you know, so many times we, we look at things from our own perspective um, and what we want to say about ourselves, and what we want to put out there. Right. But really, we need to know what the customer sort of what their context is, the world they're living in so that we can understand the role we play in their life. Definitely. So before we get to the next question, I just want to finish off yeah. on, on, on that second part, which was in terms of deciding where to kind of distribute the content and. Yeah. Uh, how should how should people be thinking about that? Because obviously that's part of the plan that you have to put together before you get started figuring out. All right, where are we going to distribute yeah. the content, and and who are we kind of really targeting with it? Sure. So you know, there's a whole debate about whether you sort of build on build your content hub on owned land, which might be your own website, or kind of what's called rented land, which is say a third party platform like a medium you know, or some kind of a you know, LinkedIn blogging, something that's got a third party uh, platform. And, you know, the danger is if everything you do is on a third party platform, any of those social media platforms could go away at any time, you know, and then you don't have, you don't have the content and you also really haven't sort of captured the audience. Right. On the other hand, if you're a brand new brand, you know, no one's coming to your website anyway. Right. So you've got to sort of, you know, fish where the, where the fish are. Yep. <laughs> so, um, I would say, even if you're starting on a third-party platform, you know, figure out where your where your users, where your customers hang out. You don't have to try to do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't spread yourself are, too thin. You know, they don't, their buyers aren't on Twitter. You know, a, a tech buyer may not be on Twitter, but they're on LinkedIn. You know, or they're in, uh, you know, an online community like SpiceWorks, or they're on some other type of, uh, a, you know, of a platform. Reddit or something like that. So you have to know where your audience actually hangs out. Mm-hmm. And then think of, of ways that, you know, even if you're capturing their attention on a third-party platform, that you can drive them back to your own site for more. Right. You know, thinking of not just the one content piece over and done, they've read it, but what is the next step and how can we get them, you know, maybe back to your site to, to learn more, finding a way to capture their email address so that, you know, you can have their permission to continue to market to them, you know, a subscription for a newsletter or something like that, where, you know, eventually you bring them back to your own site so that you can nurture the relationship. And then if that third party site goes away, at least you would have, you'd have something substantial. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great advice. Honestly, I, I, I'm always, I've always been a huge fan and proponent of owning your own kind of hub, but obviously, you know, you need, I also think you should, you need to be on other platforms too. You can't just kind of be on your own thing, especially as starting brand new. Um, 
or if you don't have an established kind of content marketing presence already, you know, and not you just people are coming to your site, you can use your site to right. kind of advertise the, the, the marketing materials you're creating the content. Um, but you should also be, you know, on other platforms. And like I said, I, I don't, I think right. one of the key things you have to keep in mind, especially when you're getting just started is don't spread yourself or, or, or people in your company too thin. You got to kind of pick like, um, like Margie was saying, you have to pick where the best places where your audience currently is or your customer base. And right. you, so you have to identify that. And, 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 and in many cases it's, you know, some son of, some kind of social platform and that's where you should hang out first. Right. That's where you start sticking, you know, the, the, the flag in the ground and being like, all right, we're going to set up shop here for a little bit right. and, uh, and start engage. And the first thing is to engage. Don't just kind of throw right. stuff out there. You gotta, you gotta talk to people. Right. Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say, especially with um, say a platform, like I mentioned Reddit, mm -hmm. right. You have, you also, when you show up there for the first time, um, it's important not to be a bull in a China shop. Right. right. You're not there just to talk about yourself, <laughs> but also to be part of the community. And that's especially when we're talking about social platforms and you know technology communities, things like that. Um, it, it's not just a platform for you. So knowing how to engage and what the context is, again, of the, the users that you're engaging with and sort of the rules of the road is really right. important when you're entering into somebody else's space. Uh, so even though that, like that voice we were talking about, you know, brand voice, it can be consistent across different platforms. You want to be known as a brand that would be recognized um, for having a certain type of tone of voice. But that doesn't mean you speak exactly the same way no matter where you go, right? Like you wouldn't speak sort of to your best friend the same way you would as your grandmother. So in the same way, you're going to need to sort of adjust a little bit on a social media platform like Reddit. That might be very different from how, you know, you engage if you're talking to and, you know, rewriting an analyst report or something like right. that. Um, or talking to an IT person with technical documentation. So, you know, knowing sort of fitting into the platform is, is also very important. That, oh, 100% agree. And especially on Reddit. And sites where there are very community oriented, you definitely, like you said, know the rules of the road, read the the rules for each subreddit or whatever platform you're on. Make sure that, you know, you're not break. You don't want to you don't want to break those rules. And, you know, it, it looks bad for you and your brand. Um, you well, you'll get kicked off. Right, exactly. You'll get <laughs> you'll kicked get off. Banned. Exactly. Um, they don't care who you are. Um, you know, if you're not following the rules, then tough luck for right. you. Um, but yeah, so I feel like we could talk about this kind of topic forever, Margie. Um, <laughs> but I want to, I want to also, uh, talk about, um, which something we actually kind of hit on a little bit, but let's, let's dive into a little bit more, which is how to, how to finding relevant topics for content. Okay. I think this is something that a lot of people in this space have trouble with and, and, and for good reason, it's not yeah. easy. <laughs> um, yes. so what, what kind of tips or advice do you have in terms of thinking about, ways to maybe frame a topic like because obviously like we were talking about before you don't want to kind of just regurgitate and do the same thing other people are doing you should yeah. you, you got to come up with a way that that reflects you and your your company and your brand uh, and stay and stays true to that but also offers value for your audience and customer base so how, how should right. we be thinking about this so one one thing we touched on with the customer interviews is listing out every possible question you or, or your salespeople can tell you this too, right? Which, what questions have come up during the sales process 
that uh, customers are, or prospective customers are struggling with, right? What kind of things do they ask you? either when they're making a choice or they're trying to understand if your product is the best fit for them or just um, at any point in the implementation, right? So that's one great source. Just keep that list. Um, so the other thing we look at with a social listening tool, um, you could even use Google Trends, you know, Google, Google um, Trends to look at, you know, what, keywords are being searched, what topics are really kind of trending in the news. Then think about what is happening in your industry or, or in the business and in the world, take COVID, right? Everybody in the entire world has had to adjust in some way, right, to the current situation, right? So if you think about that's like at the very broadest level, there's nobody that has not been impacted by that sort of you know, international worldwide trend. Exactly. <laughs> there could be similar trends, you know, <laughs> as you go down into each individual industry, um, compliance requirements, new legal changes, technology breakthroughs, right? Changes in sort of companies buying other companies, uh, you know. So thinking about, okay, well, how does that, how does that actually change things? Um, more people are working from home. That in that impacts you know work life balance. It impacts security. You know it impacts education. So everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, all of sort of the right. All all of the ways that change, some kind of change, uh, is causing people to think about how they do their work, the type of technology choices they make. Right. Um, so that's what there has to be some kind of a trigger reason that shakes up the status quo to basically get people to pay attention uh, and start trying to think, well, maybe there's another way to do something. So the more you can kind of tap into any kind of a trend that is uh, causing change, um, change is uncomfortable for a lot of people. <laughs> and so how do you help them adapt and adjust to the change with whatever your product and service is to sort of make that less painful for them? Um, you got to find your own way into that conversation that's appropriate for you. But um, thinking about it that way, then it helps you understand, again, the customer's context and how you can sort of tap into what they're already thinking about. And then doesn't seem like your conversation comes out of the blue, but it's more tied to the struggles they're already having. Right. I, I want, I, I want to give one example that I can, that I, that I'm thinking of right now, just popped in my head. Something I did a while back, actually, when I was working at a company called Mashwork, one of the things I was doing uh, was manning the blog. Cause we, at this time we were still like a very small company. I was like employee number six there. And, uh, I, and in addition to my other daily duties, I, I wrote blog posts, um, and anyway, what this company did was social media listening and analytics for different brands like HBO, Gatorade, etc. And this was, I think, 2012 or so. And uh, the Mars Curiosity rover had just kind of landed. Yeah. <laughs> in, in simpler times. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I had this idea and this was one of the most popular posts that we had actually written. So I... I started doing a bunch of uh, and uh, listening, social listening on what people were saying on social media about the rover landing and, and things like that. So I put together this whole kind of research and report on that and, and published an article that was relevant because it was news where it was newsworthy right. and timely. 
and also because it's literally what people are talking about right now. And it was a great way for us to kind of show kind of our skills, um, show kind of the, the work we could do and the insights we could give to you if you worked with us, um, but in a more fun kind of, you know, way. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are those opportunities that um, something happens almost like in popular culture, right, where you can kind of tap into. So this is also sort of an older example. <laughs> but do you remember a few years ago when this was Ellen, who I think was hosting okay. the Emmys, right? She took right. that famous picture yeah. with everybody in it, you know, Bradley <laughs> Cooper, and like everybody was leaning in and she took the picture. Um, and it was like the, the most tweeted at that time, right? Like the tweet that had the most uh, reaches. Right of all time at that point, right? So um, there was a, a company that I was working with that was um, a law firm, somebody that, that did um, essentially like intellectual property and, and other types of, uh, you know, help people with um, corporate legal issues, right? So what does this law firm have anything to do, right, with this Twitter situation that Alan that right. started? So. Uh, so they wrote a blog about asking the question, who owns that picture? It's a good question. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you know the answer? Uh, uh, no. Ellen, maybe? <laughs> the Emmys. <laughs> you know, Whose phone was it? Was it? The no, it was Ellen. It was the person who took the picture. Mm -hmm. Owned the picture. Right? And they were able to sort of use that as an example and leverage that as an example of, you know, ownership of um, – creative materials, right? If you're a designer, if you're a writer, if you're, you know, a television producer, who actually owns it and how do you determine it? Right. So it's sort of that idea of newsjacking to say, um, oh, here's something that's kind of cool that people are talking about. The headline would actually like, uh, you know, get picked up because people are searching for this keyword. Right. But we've found a way to turn that actually into something that's relevant for our audience, which are lawyers that care about intellectual property right ah that's a great idea i mean so uh, that actually also kind of reminds me of the the monkey that took the selfie and whether the monkey okay. could actually own the rights to, <laughs> to the selfie the monkey owned it <laughs> yeah so but yeah i mean that's a great point so uh, i i want to i want to move on a little bit um and let's talk about uh essentially once you start creating the content so i feel like we're going through the whole process yeah. here once you start creating the content how do you know if it's even working? Like what, what metrics should we be looking at? Right. Uh, what metrics do you look at uh, to, to help to help companies determine whether the content that they're creating uh, is, 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 is drumming up business for them or is working in the way that they intended? Yeah. So we talked a lot about blogs so far um, and blogs are typically ungated content, right? So we don't always necessarily know, you know, who's read it. It's, it they're not filling in a form to access it, all right? But there are some things that we can tell, right? So a lot of a lot of people are creating blog content, ungated web content for uh, search engine optimization, right? So optimizing content to include keywords and you know making sure that it shows up on, on search engines for particular searches. So if that's a primary goal, you know, we can tell how well that blog has ranked in search engine results. Right, that's a brand awareness indicator. We can tell 
how much traffic has come in specifically due to that blog, right? So that could be one key metric you're looking for uh, web traffic. Specifically, you might be looking at new users, right? Because you're trying to attract new audiences. You can tell a lot of that through Google Analytics. And then there's other things you can tell through Google Analytics with just a little bit of customization, like how much time have they, not just how much time have they spent on the blog, because that can sort of be, you know, a little bit of a weird uh, stat because they might have left and gone and gotten a drink of water and, you know, <laughs> not yeah. been engaged. Could but you can tell, <laughs> did they scroll? Did they actually scroll to the bottom of the, of the post, right? Or did they stop at the first, you know, paragraph and get bored? Or have they actually scrolled, scrolled to the bottom of the page, right? We can tell that. We can tell um, if it's a video, how long they're watching the video, things like that, that actually give you an indication of engagement. And then we can tell, have they... What did they do after reading that blog? Did they click off your site, you know, never to be heard from again? Or have they then navigated possibly to some, what you've decided are really high value pages on, on your website, or maybe even eventually converted by requesting a demo or filling in a form or some other conversion goal that's important, particularly to a B2B website, you know, or bought something if it's a, if it's a B2C website. Um, so there engagement is, is often a key metric for something like a, a blog to say, all right, at least we're getting people interested in our story and we're starting to capture their attention and they're sticking around to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, so on the blog side, yeah. other, you know, gated, gated content, like an ebook or a white paper or a webinar, you know, those require more investment on the part of the reader. So usually you're asking them to fill in some kind of a form uh, submission. So, in that case, then they're going into your, you know, your, your CRM or your Salesforce or something. And then we can actually track what happened to that, um, you know, that inquiry, that prospect after they filled in that form. So a salesperson might follow up and, and you'd be able to actually track back the eventual sale to the fact that this piece of content brought them in. Do you think it's important, uh, more important to, uh, I mean, I, I guess it really depends on the on whether what you're trying to do, but it ultimately, uh, would you? I mean, how 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 much should you kind of try and get a new visitor, yep. uh, mm -hmm. a prospect, to kind of sign up for your email newsletter? Like, how 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 much should people be pushing that in their content marketing? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a lot of test and and see. Um, I don't think there's a straightforward answer. Okay. That. You know, it depends on how complex your, your, your sale is or your product is. Right. Um, I think that a lot of times I see particularly B2B tech websites pushing the free trial or, you know, pushing the, you know, are you ready for a demo? Do you want to talk to a salesperson? Like, you know, right away. Mm -hmm. And often it's not until, the person has read a few articles, you know, maybe watched a video, visited the site a couple of times until they're actually ready for that. So it can be kind of in your face to constantly being asked, you know, right. are you ready to talk? Are you ready to talk? Are you ready to talk? <laughs> um, on the other hand, <laughs> I have definitely had the experience where companies have gone the other way, you know, taken all that off the site and then found that, you know, their sales pipeline has significantly decreased. And so I think that you have to kind of test and, and see. 
yeah. and find the right balance that, that works for you. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're right on the money with that. I, I, it's definitely one of those things you have to test mm-hmm. because every audience is different, right? I mean, okay. your audience is not the same as, as my audience. And you know what I mean? Yep. Like, so like what, what I do may not work for you. And that's why that testing is obviously so important. Do you have any tools that you recommend for uh, testing this kind of stuff? Um, I mean, I've used a lot of different kinds of things. Um, I mean, all the marketing automation tools like an Eloqua or Marketo can, can give you great insights into that. Um, I, you know, even like some user testing tools like Hotjar, where you can say, well, how do people react when they have a form on this page versus not a form on this page? Um, right. A-B lately, testing can be helpful for the, for the, especially with uh, showing like trying to get people to sign up with their email or a form of yeah. some kind with right. your content, an A-B test could be a very helpful kind of tool right. to use to see whether it's performing better when that's there or when it's not yeah. there. <laughs> right, or how many fields you have. Right, right? exactly. I mean, we kind of know intuitively and we can prove the fact that, you know, the, the more fields, the more people are going to be worried and shy away from filling in a form, right? So you can make that experience a lot smoother for them by just asking fewer things and maybe coming back the next time and asking another couple questions and, you know, slowly gaining their trust over time. Um, a key to that is that when they do fill in that form, you know, and they, and they get that gated content that they've been willing to invest at their personal information into getting that you really are providing value. You know, I, there are certain things that I would not gate like a case study, you know, or a video or an infographic. I think it, it's much, uh, too more low effective value. to, yeah. yeah, to, or a blog, right. To, you know, there's a certain amount of information that you want circulating and that you want people to be able to have access to. But if you're creating, you know, a 20 page ebook with all kinds of interesting, you know, tips and tricks and advice and examples and, uh, you know, calculations, then, you know, that's a worthwhile piece of content that uh, there's an exchange of value when somebody actually gives you their information, they're going to expect to have something immediate in return. Definitely like that. All right. I want to go to the last question uh, for, uh, for this. I feel like we've been talking about a lot of really great stuff and I think I'm going to have to have you come back because like we didn't even get to all the questions that we had, (laughs) Um, but I'm going to jump to this before we get to the lightning round. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my favorite, one of my favorites too. Um, this one I think is a good one. Uh, why do most brand pr- launch projects yeah. fail, in your opinion? Like, what have you seen? What are some of the telltale signs that you know people should be looking out for or be weary of when they're when they're doing this? Like to so, avoid failure. <laughs> right. I mean, it's expensive if you're going to rebrand your company, right? Or whether it's just a fresh coat of paint, <laughs> or it's a it's a full on you know rejiggering of the messaging and as well as the look and feel. So it's the potential risk that you're going to get it wrong um, or that you will have invested a lot of time and energy and money. And then it just kind of never gets off the ground. So that's the, what I, what I often see is companies that spend a lot of time on sort of the, the marketing backroom strategy, you know, maybe with an agency or, or maybe with the company leadership Um and then they sort of deliver their new brand idea from above to the rest of the organization. And guess what? Lo and behold, it's not embraced or adopted by the organization because they didn't see it coming. They didn't have a lot of buy-in up front. Um, and they also aren't really sure how to actually execute that brand in their day-to-day lives. 
So it could be out of know, touch think, with you know the the everyday kind of employee who's there who's working with the customer on a day to day basis. You know, they like we were talking about earlier. Get that feedback. It's very important because it impacts how you kind of brand yourself right. in your company. So. Right. And, you know, I mean, so it's no surprise that, you know, at least half of people working in companies say they don't really buy into their own company's brand. Right. So if they don't buy into it, then how are they supposed to explain it and get their customers to buy into it? So they're not fully equipped to be ambassadors, brand ambassadors. Um, so, in addition to sort of the high-minded, you know, high big picture kind of brand definition, where the rubber meets the road is actually equipping the people who are on the front lines to express the brand in the way they write, in the way they communicate, you know, even in the emails that the customer service team sends, in the way the website is structured, um, you know, in the way the phone calls are answered, you know, so that the brand becomes meaningful to the way they actually do their jobs and they don't have to guess and interpret right? so if you say like oh we have a we have a open and um approachable brand that could mean many different things to many different people and left on their own they're all going to interpret that a different way right so i like to give like real examples whether they're sample templates or they're sample scripts or you know, a blog or an ebook, something that, you know, really says, show, show it this way, this works, this way doesn't work. And not to say everybody is a robot and needs to speak with exactly the same words, but that you have some realistic examples of how you might actually put a brand definition into practice. And that way people can be more consistent. Definitely. I th consistency is the name of the game here. We talked mm -hmm. about consistency with regard to making sure you get content out consistently making sure your brand's voice is consistent right. across all platforms that you're on. Uh, those are two super important things uh, that, that you need to do for uh, when you're doing, when you're, when you're doing content marketing for your company. Yep. Absolutely. So Margie, I, I love the conversation we had um, so far. It is time for the lightning round. Actually, you made it all the way okay. through. <laughs> so whenever you're ready, you let me know. We'll get started. Okay. Are you ready? All right, I'm here ready. We go. Here we go. Bedroom, office desk, or car? Which one would you clean first? Bedroom. Bedroom. Would you rather live a week in the future or relive a week in the past? Uh, relive a week in the past. Book or ebook? Ebook. Would you ever? Ebook meaning like a Kindle book? Like yeah, like a Kindle book. book. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, would you ever fly to the moon or another planet? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. I think I would do that too. Assuming I could get back. <laughs> I think. Um, well, you didn't ask that part of the question. That's true. I didn't. I didn't. And, that, and that's intentional. <laughs> um, last one. Here we go. What's your cure for hiccups? <laughs> I have an eight-year-old son who had the hiccups the other day. <laughs> so we were playing the, you know, scare me without me being ready for it game. Nice. It didn't really work. <laughs> I found I found peanut butter works for me L at I least lately. At least lately. Definitely try it out. Let me know. Her <laughs> <laughs> drink a glass of water upside down. I've heard I that like, too. Oh, that works. I I've tried that. It's very difficult. I'm you have to kind of like lean over and to drink it. <laughs> I wouldn't try that one. Peanut butter is the way to go. 
Margie, I'm really, I'm really glad that we had you on for this episode. If anyone who's listening uh, wants to get in touch with you, ask you a question, talk to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way is my website, okay. centerboard-marketing.com, or to connect with me directly, just hit me up on LinkedIn, Margie Agin, A-G-I-N, um, and love to connect with your listeners. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Margie. I hope you have a great, great rest of your day, and I look forward to, uh, to keeping in touch. Me too. Thanks very much. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating interview on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.